Brian Smith here, and welcome to the Dream Path Podcast, where I try to get inside the heads of talented creatives from all over the world. My goal is to demystify and humanize the creative process and make it accessible to everyone. Now let's jump in. Jason Moore, welcome to the end of the year 2020 recap duo cast. I'm so glad to be here, man. This is fun. It's a great year for our duo cast conversations, a great year for the podcast, and a terrible year otherwise. <laughs> it really was. But, uh, you know, this podcast is just its a shining light of 2020 to me. For me too. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a lot of fun to have something to look forward to that's creative. Right. And, right. Uh, th- I think this really gives me nutrition, creative nutrition. Well, uh, I think so too. And looking back on the year, I mean, you've had some pretty historical guests. You just blew my mind. I feel the same way, Jason. I'm sort of in awe sometimes when uh, someone says yes, that has no business talking to me. <laughs> they should never be talking to a guy like me, but yet they say, yeah, I'll tell you my story. And I'm so glad they do. Me too. 2020 was special for a number of reasons. Um, we had a lot of wonderful guests who were inspiring, I think, to listeners and certainly inspiring to you and I in terms of how they got into their creative space and what they've done to get where they're at. And that is part of the inquiry that I always make with these guests is, how did you get into this particular space? And you always find out something new. There are some common threads that you hear in terms of the themes of no plan B. Right. I don't want a plan B because if I have one, then I will take a plan B. Yes. And uh, you, you, you cannot have that in a creative space like film and music. I think you have to go all in with no alternative plan. Right. Like, uh, you know, without a net, as they say. Right. But then you also hear unique perspectives on techniques and habits and routines that help them become successful. And that's what also I love about the podcast is that you hear these unique perspectives that are outside of the typical narrative. Mm Mm-hmm. You get something out of it that is tangible every time you listen to an episode. Exactly. And that's what I think you and I really try to focus on is providing content that is actionable. Yeah. And practical too. I think it's so, not yeah. just like, oh, let's just listen to a story and that has no impact on me whatsoever. Um, this is actually practical advice that you're getting. You're listening to a, a connection being made. You're listening to um, an interesting journey. Right. But I love how you can take these bits of advice and you can apply them in your own life. Oh, yeah, for sure. What we're hoping to do, Jason, is recap not every episode for 2020, but just recap some of the highlights. And when we do this, Jason, of course, if we exclude anybody, we are not excluding them because they weren't interesting to us or there's there's no commentary whatsoever on how great that episode was. Okay. Just because they make it in or don't make it in. But I think the purpose of this top 10 list is to try to, in one show, in one conversation, encapsulate the takeaways of 2020. That sounds good. That sound good to you? Yeah. I, great. So there's two guests that I wanted to talk about in tandem. And those are uh, AJ Eaton, a film director, documentary huh. film director. Yeah. I remember AJ. And my lease. Oh yeah. Bass player. Yeah. And the reason I wanted to talk about them together is we have this top 10 list of guests, and I couldn't decide between AJ and Mai in terms of who to include. 
but I did see that there's a common thread between these two and they, they know each other. And that's how I found my, after talking to AJ, but AJ did of course the documentary remember my name, uh, David Crosby, David yeah. Crosby and, and knows David Crosby uh, through his brother who plays with David and, and knows my, who plays with David as well and writes with him. Right. And so when I think about how 2020 started, I do think about AJ Eaton and um, how generous he was to bring me into his studio and his creative space. Cameron's like, you know, the more you show his dark side, the more people will like him and more people will like the story. And he's right. And this is a collaboration of, of us working together and trying to understand this very, very complex human. And Crosby is... Yeah, he he can be he can definitely be an asshole, but he also has a lot of redeeming qualities too. And if we were to cut out all of the negative and just show all the redeeming, that we weren't we weren't doing our jobs as filmmakers. It was great to talk to AJ at his production studio, his editing bay in Los Angeles before the pandemic. Right, and it was a bit nostalgic for me to actually think back on that conversation with him because. I did what I would typically do with these podcast interviews, which is fly to the guest. Yeah. And that's what I loved about the pre-pandemic podcast situation was I could just get on a plane and go anywhere I wanted and talk to whoever I wanted to, uh, wherever their creative space was. That's, it makes it an adventure. It does. Yeah. And AJ was kind enough to have me into his studio where we were talking about his project, Remember My Name, with David Crosby, of course, and also the other films that had been produced in that same studio and you're looking at movie posters and there's something really inspiring about talking to guests in their own creative space like that. Mm -hmm. And AJ, uh, ever since that interview, has been a friend of mine on, on social media and has been fun to follow creatively on social media. And so I look at 2020 as, you know, how did this start? Well, it started with AJ. Right. And then how did I meet Mai? Well, I met her through AJ. Um, and that, that interview with Mai, of course, took place at NAM. Oh, that's right. Which yeah. is another pre-pandemic sort of nostalgic memory that I have. Yeah. Uh, first time attending NAM ever. And also, I got to attend as a member of the press. That's right. Got press credentials there. But Mai was incredibly articulate talking about her journey from Estonia all the way to the United States. And how that happened was pretty incredible. So she was busking at a train station and was discovered basically by Greg Lease, who was an iconic guitar player and was actually touring with Jackson Brown at the time. That's right. Yeah. And brought her up on stage. And so you don't hear stories like that very often of musicians actually being discovered. Right. I literally know. on the streets. Just It's rare. Yeah. And so she goes on this journey to meet all of these iconic musicians like Jackson Brown, like Greg Lees, like David Crosby. And here she is, one of these up and coming virtuoso bass players. Uh -huh. And uh, we're, we're seeing, I think, a renaissance in bass playing right now because of folks like Miley Lees. Well, she's incredible. One of the takeaways I had from Miley Lees' interview was how humble she was. She's in the orbit of all of these incredible musicians. Paul McCartney and David Crosby and Greg Lees, of course, who's her husband. But her love of music is really what drives her. Right. She's not a starstruck person. She's not in this for fame and fortune. And uh, she 
she's really going after her dream in a pure organic way, which is just based upon her love of music. And I love what she said in her in the interview about Paul McCartney. Yeah. And meeting him for the first time. Right. And it's way more inspiring when you're like someone who's that everybody is admiring and yet you remain that kid you once was who was madly in love with music and and did that for fun and for joy and you know like Paul McCartney I was trembling so much when I met him in my first rehearsal with David Crosby and he came into the room and he was like patting my back I was like oh don't worry we're both bass players you know <laughs> and he was so cool he made me feel just like equal to him yeah. and and that's a quality that I admire in people when you don't put others down in order to shine bigger yourself but you know when people rise by lifting others that's beautiful yeah I mean there there is a little bit of starstruck aspect to that story of course because how could you not be starstruck by Paul McCartney but the way that he connected with her saying hey we're both bass players right so it's the connection that she really encapsulated in that quote that makes you realize that we're all human. Right. Even Paul McCartney, who's kind of a god to a lot of musicians and songwriters and, of course, bass players. Mm -hmm. Yet at the end of the day, there's something that you have in common with that person, especially with Mai, who plays the bass and who loves music just like Paul does. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of cool to hear musicians who are on their way up talking about their interactions with iconic musicians who have already made it and maybe are, are kind of on the tail end of their career. Yeah, to exactly. To hear how those two worlds interact. Yep. Another guest that was actually first on my list to include for the highlights of 2020. The first guy I thought of, who do you think that is? Chris Kincaid. Chris Kincaid. Now is the winter of our discontent, made glorious summer by the sun of York, and all the clouds that lured above our house in the deep bosom of the ocean now buried. Now are our brows hung with victorious wreaths, our stern alarms changed to merry measures. Grim visaged war has smoothed his wrinkled brow. <laughs> That's fantastic. Better than one, two, three. There was something special that happened when we met Chris, and I can't really put my finger on it other than I feel like I met someone who was incredibly intellectual and smart and funny and engaged and kinetic just the energy that that guy had oh yeah um and the stories that he was telling right out of the gate and i interviewed him in his home in burbank and of course chris for those who haven't listened to the interview you should go back and listen he's he's a massage therapist to the stars but that's not why i interviewed him he's actually he's a musician he's an actor and um he's the one who connected me to Nick Cassavetes, who we'll talk about in a few minutes. He grew up with Nick and has a, a long relationship with the whole Cassavetes family that we talk about in the interview. So with Chris, I feel like it's an Olive Garden commercial. When you're here, you're family. Right. When, when, you're, when you're in Chris's orbit, you're family. That's a, that's a good way to describe it. Yeah. Yeah. And he's so, he's so enthusiastic too about promoting the podcast and just being supportive and, and to have that connection down there in Southern California, I just know Chris is someone that no matter what's going on, he will always find time to get together, you know, when that's possible again. Right. You know, when, when the pandemic dies down and we're starting to have face-to-face -face contact again, then, you know, he'll be one of the first guys that I connect with down in Southern California. Yeah. And I remember that was, uh, you know, the beginning of the year that was 
we were trying to find guests and you were like, you know, can you think of anybody? And I'm like, well, I know this guy named Chris Kincaid. He's interesting. You should talk to him. He might be interested in talking to you. And of course it snowballed from there. I mean, then, then Nick and then, you know, right. he knows a bunch of people. So he's a, he's a great guy. That's an interesting point you make there, Jason, about how it kind of snowballed from there. Um, those are good words to use with Chris, because once that connection was made, an entire world opened up for us in terms of other potential guests to talk to. And I didn't talk to Chris with the intention of having that be a stepping stone in any way. That's never the way I look at interviews. I always ask myself one question before I book an interview. Is this someone that I am genuinely, authentically interested in talking to yeah. and hearing about their journey? And Chris was absolutely that guest and met that criteria right away. But what has flowed from that, because he has all of these connections in the industry, in the film industry, in the music industry, that has resulted in just a lot of windows opening, a lot of opportunities for us. And I love that about this process is that meeting people, once you gain their trust, you are going to have a cheerleader at that point. That's a perfect way of saying it. Yeah. You're going to have an advocate, someone who wants to help you make other connections. Yeah, exactly. That's what's so great about Chris. And that, uh, that quote that we heard at the beginning when we introduced Chris is totally emblematic and representative of the type of energy that Chris brings to every situation. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. For sure. That for him to just bust into Shakespeare like that. Yeah. Totally Chris. It, it really is. One of the big highlights of 2020, and we've talked about this quite a bit throughout the year, but I can't go the entire duo cast without mentioning Sundance. Right. But Sundance 2020 occurred right at the cusp of when the pandemic hit. Yeah, it did. And so in fact, I think there's some stories out there, and I, I got sick at Sundance, and I know a lot of people think that it was one of the epicenter sites, one of the super spreader events that was happening before we even knew what the, uh, the virus was. It very well could have been, yeah. But I was there interviewing a lot of filmmakers, and the filmmaker that I wanted to give honorable mention to from Sundance is Jeff Orlowski. We have built technology that makes more money the more divisive it is. And if we want the tech to make more money, we can just ramp up the divisiveness. That's not an intentional thing. That's like an accidental byproduct of how yeah. the technology works. And so this anxiety that we're feeling as a culture, in my mind, that's not some accidental thing. That is, that is the byproduct of how we have programmed humanity mm -hmm. through this technology. Yeah. Silicon Valley isn't programming software. They're programming society. Now, the reason I wanted to give honorable mention to Jeff Rolowski, even though we talked to eight filmmakers at Sundance and did long form interviews for all of those filmmakers. And they're, they're all fantastic, by the way. Oh, yeah. The reason I wanted to specifically mention Jeff is that his film, The Social Dilemma, really resonated with a lot of folks when it hit Netflix this uh, September. It's really made an impact. Yeah. Yeah. And we ran an encore episode uh, we, of course, ran it right after Sundance. It was one of the first Sundance interviews we launched in March, I believe. But yeah. then we, we ran it as an encore interview after it was released on Netflix. And there was so much talk on social media, ironically, on social media about <laughs> the social dilemma, which is highly critical of social media companies like Instagram and Facebook. Right. But I think it started a really interesting dialogue out there about what Facebook is doing to us, what Google is doing to our society and our brains, right? our addiction to dopamine, 
Yep. You know, every time we are looking for that notification on our phone, that is a social media company training human beings to behave in a certain way. Yeah, they're programming us. And it's scary to hear Jeff talk about how that film came together for me was one of the more special aspects of the Sundance experience. Another 2020 recap guest is Nick Cassavetes. Oh yeah. <laughs> I met Nick through Chris Kincaid. And you may recall that Nick is the first guest that I interviewed on video. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And uh, it did not go well. <laughs> I mean, the video, the interview went fine, but the technical aspects are a few glitches. I recorded this in my linen closet, surrounded by my daughter's prom dresses, and I didn't really think about what that would look like on Zoom. So if you go to YouTube, you will see that I'm surrounded by clothes. And there's a reason for that. There's actually an audio reason for that. It's because kind of, Yeah, it's kind of deadening. It provides kind of a studio quality sound where you have this dead sound. It's not echoey because all of the clothes are absorbing the sound, but it looks ridiculous. <laughs> and I'm surprised that Nick even continued to talk to me after seeing me on, <laughs> on his laptop screen in the closet. A buddy of mine calls me up. He goes, uh, this, you have to remember, this was in uh, 2002. He's like, you ever heard of Facebook? I'm like, no. He's like, it's this college thing where college kids can talk to one another. I'm like, yeah, so what? He said, your movie just got voted the greatest movie of all time. I said, well, first of all, they're wrong. And second of all, wow, uh, that's, that's kind of cool. And then when that happened, all the kids went to see it. And we actually started doing more business. And then about... Two or three months later, God bless him, Clint Eastwood is on NPR radio, and it's going to be Oscar time. And of course, they're talking about the best films of the year with Clint, and they're like, what do you think the best film is? He goes, The Notebook. It's the best film by far, best film I've seen in a few years. And the guy was like, oh, come on, get out of here. He's like, come on, nothing. That's the best film. So, and God bless you, Clint. Be sweet about a film like that. So, of course, the film that Nick is talking about there is The Notebook, yep. which we, we've all seen, and our kids have all seen. And it's one of those classic love stories that is timeless. That's a great film. Yeah, it really is. And e even if you're not into Rachel McAdams or Ryan Gosling or, you know, that generation of actors, the story is timeless and it's really well done. And it's, it's fun to talk to a director who is behind such a, an iconic film like that and hear his strong points of view. I mean, he had a lot of interesting stories about his dad. John Cassavetes, an indie film legend right. in Hollywood. I'm so grateful for Chris uh, introducing us and making that happen. Another guest I wanted to talk about in our 2020 recap is Bob Sines. Oh, yes, Bob. The screenwriter. Yeah, I've talked to him before. Yeah. Yeah. So Bob is a guy who wrote a book called That's Not the Way It Works. And he, he has a lot of opinions. Right. So I, I love it when guests have a really strong point of view as, as to how something should happen or not happen. Uh -huh. And so he wrote this entire book on how basically not to write a screenplay and therefore how to write a screenplay. Right. <laughs> practical advice. And I love practical, actionable advice. Choosing what to write about is so important because I, you know, I got a script one time and it's in the book. I got a script about scrapbooking and about how great scrapbooking is. And nobody wants to see that movie. <laughs> there isn't a person on earth who's going to buy a ticket to see a movie about scrapbooking. Right. And so you have to learn about what are you going to write about? How can you write something that's different? If you're going to write a revenge movie, 
it better be way different from any other revenge movie ever written. Because if you write the same revenge movie that every Steven Seagal movie that's ever been made, the chances of you selling it are zero. So Bob, his strong point of view really makes for a great interview. Right. And, uh, and, and also it's really good advice too. You just know when you're listening to someone who is in the industry, has a lot of wisdom and a lot of knowledge to impart, you know when you're hearing that. And Bob is one of those guys. Exactly. I know that when you and I are talking to other musicians, for example, uh, sometimes it's hard to tell people things they don't want to hear. Oh, yeah, I know. And uh, that's what I appreciate about Bob is he is unashamed to and, and totally willing to tell everybody exactly what they don't want to hear because they need to hear it. Right. There's a difference between what you want to hear and what you need to hear. And that's what Bob does is he tells you what you need to hear. And it's not always fun, especially if you've worked on a screenplay idea for like scrapbooking <laughs> for a long time and you're really into this and you think it's going to sell a million tickets. He's going to tell you, no, go do something different. Throw that in the garbage can and start from scratch. Yeah. I think we need more people like Bob. We need the honesty. Brutal honesty. Brutal honesty. Some, some people call it constructive criticism. I don't think Bob, it's, it could be const constructive criticism, but it's honest and it might be hard, but you need to hear it. And we need more people like that. I agree. Another guest that we had to talk about for our 2020 recap is voice actor Rob Paulson. And now, 25 years later, the king of Hollywood calls up and says, hey, Rob, Tress, Jess, Maurice, what do you think about doing Animaniacs and Pinky in the Brain? Again, for this new technology called Hulu. Are you effing kidding me? When Steven Spielberg decided to do Pinky in the Brain and Animaniacs again and chose to use the original voice actors, because it's not about my face, it's not about the fact that we're skinnier or fatter or taller or shorter or grayer than we used to be. It's about the fact that every time I say, hello, nurse, Steven says, oh, that's Yakko. That's Rob. And he knows that I've been going around the country singing United States, Canada, Mexico, with, you know, Animaniacs in concert. Or he sees Maurice and I doing a, a Q&A at New York Comic Con, as Pinky in the Brain, with 5,000 people in the audience. And he's saying, Pinky, are you pondering what I'm pondering? And I say, I think so, Brain, but me and Pippi Longstocking, what would the children look like? Nerve. Steven says, these guys still got it. Rob is, of course, Jacob from Animaniacs, Pinky from Pinky in the Brain, was a voice on Rick and Morty and has so many stories to tell about the folks that he's met in the industry and his journey into voice acting, right. which I, I think is, it's, it's kind of an untold story. You don't really hear a lot about how voice actors get into that space and how they become successful. I know. Yeah. And you know, with Rob, I'm so happy that he got a chance to, to do it again and do the Animaniacs uh, this, just this last fall, especially after going through what he did with throat cancer. The throat cancer aspect of the story was heart-wrenching to hear, I and, and yeah. I actually read his book, his biography, before the interview, so I got to really do a deep dive on hearing about that story, and what a lot of cancer survivors go through is remarkable, mm -hmm. and how they're able to pull through it and actually come back and be better than ever in whatever industry they're in. Those are fun stories to hear, you know, stories of resilience and his biography is a great example of that. And also this interview is a great example of that. Mm -hmm. So if you don't want to read the book, listen to the interview and prepare to be inspired. Yeah. Um, no cancer is good to get, but as a voice actor, you definitely don't want to get throat cancer. Oh yeah. I mean, that could change, that could ruin your career. 
And I'm glad to see that Rob came through it like stronger than ever, it seems. He, he really does. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and he also seems to almost in a, in a weird way appreciate the journey that he's been on. I, I think cancer, in a way, gave him a perspective that he didn't have before. Well, totally a second chance, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The next guest I wanted to mention for our 2020 recap is Stephanie Mercedes. When I um, decided I was going to melt down the six-hour MCX rifle, I mean, I, I was living in New York at the time, and I started calling foundries, and they were like, lady, you are crazy. You think that we are going to let you take an assault rifle and put it in our, like, you know, industry-level foundry kiln? Like, no way in hell. Now, Stephanie Mercedes is, of course, an artist out of Washington, D.C., who melts guns into art. I remember that. She makes them into bells. Right. She took replicas, as you know, of the guns used in the Pulse nightclub shooting. Oh, that's, in, that's right. Yeah. In Orlando and melted them down into bells and talked about how she came up with that idea. And the thing I really appreciate about Stephanie Mercedes is that she is she has created something entirely singularly unique to her, which was her perspective on and her worldview on guns and violence and mass shootings. And how do you respond to that as an artist? I think she nailed it. Yeah. What, what can you do as an artist to speak to a very specific issue, which is gun violence and also hate crimes? And she's taken this approach to art, which is, is activism in some ways. It's not just oh, I want to make art so that I can sell it and it can sit in someone's living room, or I want to sell art at a gallery, and right. you know, or I want it to be popular. Right. She's she's completely fearless when it comes to wanting to have a message. Well, it's very powerful. Take a gun, melt it down into bells, and didn't the bells have the names of the uh, the uh, disappeared and the victims on right. on the bells? Right, right. Talk about powerful! My gosh, it really is powerful. It resonates, and and when you look at her website and you see what she's done in terms of the performance art that's related to this as well. You realize Stephanie Mercedes is a complete trailblazer in the industry. And that's what I loved about the interview. And that's what I love about Stephanie Mercedes. Me too. All right. We're coming up uh, toward the end of 2020 now. And we have to talk about Neil Preston, right? Oh, of course. Photographer extraordinaire. The most famous photo I've ever shot easily right now is the one of Freddie. Ah. Uh, where he's bending back with all of Wembley Stadium in the background. Yeah. Because Freddie Mercury is now the most famous guy who's ever lived on the planet. I mean, he's right up there. You got Jesus Christ, <laughs> Socrates, Genghis Khan, well, whatever, Freddie Mercury. But uh, that's become the photo. And that was actually the third frame I shot that day. That shot that Neil describes in that clip of Freddie Mercury is the most iconic queen shot that has ever been taken. Yeah, the one of him bending back in the... Right. You can see the crowd. It's, it's so famous, man. I mean, I, I remember seeing that in magazines many, many years ago. It's just, it's one of the ones that sticks in your brain. At least for me, if you mention Neil Preston, that's one of the ones. There's thousands more, but that one's for sure. It was so fun to talk to Neil because I read his book, exhilarated and exhausted cover to cover and you would think well okay it's a coffee table book what are you doing reading it it's a it's a picture book but there's stories behind each of these photographs and that's what was so special about that interview is talking to him about all of these behind the scenes moments 
of photographing Led Zeppelin. And of course, if you haven't listened to it yet, go back and, and listen to the episode specifically for the story of being physically assaulted by John Bonham's security crew after a concert. <laughs> and you will not be disappointed. No, you won't. But Neil is, is a fantastic storyteller because he has this rich life experience that is not that glamorous, really. I mean, you'd think it would be when you look at the photographs in these books, the Queen book, uh, the Exhilarated and Exhausted book of all of these shoots that he went on, all of these tours that he went on uh, where he was living, he was embedded with bands like Led Zeppelin, with The Who, with you know Bob Dylan, with Tom Petty, and, and all of these folks that uh, we think of as household names when we think about rock and roll. Right. And he's there embedded with him. And you would think, well, this is a glamorous lifestyle. Not the way he describes it. No, not at all. <laughs> not the way he describes it. And he says, don't ever make the mistake of thinking that you're a fifth member of the band. That's right. And for me, that was a, probably the biggest takeaway, which is these are not your friends. I mean, with Queen, I think there's an exception. They're, sure. they're your friends. Sure. And, and Queen loves Neil and Neil loves Queen. And obviously, when you look at that book, the Queen book that just came out on Amazon, there was a special relationship that was formed there over decades of work together. Right. You can tell. Right. But with, with a band like the Rolling Stones or with Led Zeppelin, they're, they're not your friends. I mean, you may have friendly moments. Mm -hmm. You have to have that professional boundary. You do. Yeah. And uh, Neil described that pretty well in the interview and also made me laugh hysterically throughout <laughs> the entire thing. <laughs> me too. Yeah. So I'm really glad that Neil talked to us in 2020. My, my takeaway from that is never do quaaludes around Led Zeppelin. <laughs> <laughs> don't do quaaludes at all. Right. But don't do it around Led Zeppelin. And certainly, um, you know, if you're, if you're going to do quaaludes around Led Zeppelin, try to wear some pants that are really hard to pull down. <laughs> Just listen to the interview and you'll, you'll know exactly what we're talking about here. Yeah. Okay. Moving up in the list, Jason, Kylie Rothfield. Very talented. We talk to musicians a lot on this show, mm -hmm. or at least more than we do other types of artists. And uh, the types of musicians it seems like we've been able to connect with are folks that are sort of on the tail end of their career. Right. And Kylie, I met at a hotel rooftop bar as she was performing in Marina Del Rey a couple of years ago. That's right. And so I maintained that connection with her through social media and was eventually able to interview her in 2020, which was, I think, one of the the highlights of the year because she is on an upward trajectory. Mm -hmm. She's still making a name for herself in the industry, but she's already had huge success for someone her age, someone in her 20s. She was, of course, on The Voice and was mentored by Alicia Keys on season 11 and was also on a show called Songland, which is a songwriting competition. Mm -hmm. And here's Kylie talking about that experience. It felt like we were war buddies going through this new thing together and navigating it. And we tour together and write together. We used to say before we went on stage, because it feels like these shows kind of pit you against each other, that music isn't a competition. We would all like hold hands and say, music is not a competition, which is really cheesy. But yeah, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be on both shows. I know how lucky I am. But what I learned the most is that there's not going to be this handout from the industry. There's no one that can make it happen for you. I think a lot of us had expectations after The Voice, like, oh, we're doing all this and we're meeting all these people and we have millions of people watching us and this is it and they're going to help us get this career now. But you just can't ever have expectations that 
there's going to be a show or a famous person or a producer or anyone that's going to sort of create this career for you. Right. It really it comes down to your own work and yeah, anything else is just kind of a bonus. And as you heard Jason from that quote from that episode where she talks about her experience on those two shows, this is a humble person. Oh yeah, very down to earth. A lot of humility there. Mm -hmm. That's what really stood out for me listening to Kylie is that this is someone who has really made it pretty big in the industry, but yet she realizes and she wants listeners to realize as well that it is not a walk in the park just because you make it onto a show like The Voice. Exactly. And same thing with Songland, that it's a hustle. Yep. Every single day it's a hustle. And it's it's nice to hear that. And it's it's kind of daunting to hear that because you want there to be, uh, on the outside looking in, I think we all would love there to be like an answer. Like you finally made it. Like this is what you have to do right. to make it in the industry. Right. I don't think it ever happens like that. But if you hear the hard truths from folks like Kylie or, or Bob Sines, right. you know, these are the hard truths, then you can start to look at creativity in a different way. Very well said. You, you don't search for the magic answer to anything. And I think there is no magic answer other than hard work and luck. Totally. It's hard work and it's blind ass luck. That's my takeaway from a lot of the interviews that I've had in 2020 is that the common denominator is these folks work their ass off. <laughs> That's totally right. Yeah. And sometimes they meet the right people and they get recognized. Yep. So last but not least, Don McLean. When I dropped out of school and started singing in my first nightclub, I stayed at the Hotel Earl in Greenwich Village. And I remember I was so scared and kind of alone. And I opened the window and there was a brick wall it was about six inches away from my hand. That's how close the building was to the next building. And then next to me were two old guys who were talking about shooting heroin. So this is what I descended into from where I came from quickly. But I had a mission and I didn't really care whether I slept at the Waldorf Astoria or I slept on the ground. It did not make any difference to me. My mission was I was going to write songs, sing songs, and I was going to perform and I was going to let the music take me wherever it took me. And by God, when I started writing, it took me all over the world. That's probably my favorite of the year so far. Why is that? Don McLean has been in my musical consciousness since I was born. And my dad used to play Don McLean records. And songs like American Pie, I mean, He's such a legendary songwriter. And to me, just listening to his journey and how he did it, it, he made it sound like it was so well planned out and everything was just kind of, it fell together so easily for him, but it didn't. And when you really look back at how it went, he struggled for quite a long time. 10 years. Yeah. And even though he says that's his favorite time period was between 60 and 70, I think that that was probably the hardest time in his life, probably. Right. You know, just trying to get that first album out. Yeah. I don't know if I can pick a, a favorite, Jason, for 2020, but Don McLean's is right up there. Mm -hmm. The reason that Don's interview resonated so much with me is I think we were speaking the same language mm -hmm. throughout the interview. There just seemed to be a connection. And I don't know if it was because, and I said this in my intro to the interview, I don't know if it's because we both lost our dads when they were 56 years old. That could be, yeah. Um, I think that common experience can bond people. Sure. But for whatever reason, the interview just flowed in a way that took us where it doesn't normally take us. 
Right. Yeah. I, I expected to talk a lot about American Pie and Vincent and 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 those typical things that you would think to ask a guest like Don McLean. Right. Uh, but it went in a different place, and I'm glad it did. It went into politics a little bit. I, I don't necessarily agree with everything he said in the interview politically mm-hmm. or as a culture, you know, where we're going technologically. Yeah. But it was fascinating to hear someone who has been through so much life experience as Don talk about those issues and have a strong point of view about it. Yeah. Well, he definitely does. Yeah. And what you don't hear in that interview is he actually hung up on me in the middle of the interview. Yeah. It was actually a two-part interview. Yeah. So he hung up on me after about 15, 20 minutes and he's like, I got to go. Bye. I didn't know if he was going to call me back. Yeah. I don't know if we were going to just have a 15 minute you know, little bonus episode to go by. Right. But he ended up calling me back and we finished up a great conversation. And I think it was a really nice way to end 2020 because we talked about the pandemic. We talked about the impact of the pandemic creatively on the creative community and on just on society as a whole and how we are never going back. We're never going back. Yeah. He made it sound pretty bleak. I don't think he was trying to be really ominous with his commentary on whether we're going back to like a 60s and 70s type of vibe musically. But I think what he's recognizing is that music is a product of whatever is happening in the culture at the time. Right. And we're not going to go back and replicate what was happening in the 60s and 70s with the upheaval of the Vietnam War, and the protest movement, and the summer of love and all of that that was happening that kind of resulted in American Pie being written mm-hmm. and encapsulating an era the way it did. Yeah, you're never going to be, be able to revive it. Right. And so it's it's kind of sad to think about it like that. Like we're never going to go back and have that type of feel. But it's honest. Yeah, it is honest. And so his commentary about where we're going was interesting because there was I think there was a little hope and optimism there that we're just going to create in a different way. I, I think you're right. And he wasn't that disparaging toward folks like Kanye West when he mentioned Kanye that he doesn't really understand that music. Right. I think he was accepting of it. Right. He's like, look, this isn't my time anymore. This isn't for Don McLean in his 70s to be judging music that is coming out right now as good or bad or putting a label on it. That's true. And, and so I, I appreciated that about Don is he did have some humility. He was humble in a way mm-hmm. to recognize that there's a new generation of artists out there. Like Ed Sheeran. Like Ed Sheeran. Yeah. Right. And he gave kudos to Ed. Yeah. But yeah, it was a nice way to end 2020 to talk to Don and have that sound so good. I think the audio quality was good. I think the human connection that we made was impressive and um, really made it special. And I think that's probably why it's right up there in the top two, top three for me. So in terms of um, what we have coming up next, Jason, um, I know we have two interviews scheduled for January. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Naomi Grossman. Naomi Grossman. Who played yeah. Pepper on American Horror Story. That's right. And Rebecca Metz, who is a lovely actress uh, who uh, can be seen on, I mean, just do an IMDb and you'll see she's been in a lot of shows that everyone has probably seen. I've seen her on TV a couple times. Yeah. yeah. She's in, in Better Things. She she's was on Mom. Californication. Yeah. Mom. She's one of these ever-present actresses that has a lot of success in the industry and was super fun to talk to, to hear about her journey. But we have uh, an interesting 2021 coming up. I'm looking forward to getting right into editing these, uh, these interviews, Brian. 
Really excited. Me too. Can't wait to hear how they turn out. So um, we don't know what 2021 has in store for us, but we do know that we are in this for the long haul. Oh, yeah. And that we're going to try to make 2021 as impactful as possible from the standpoint of putting out quality content, quality interviews, and guests who are going to share actionable, practical information about their creative journeys. And I'm looking forward to working with you again for another year here, brother. Me too, Brian. Hey, thanks for recapping 2020 with me. Thanks for inviting me over, Brian. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If so, I have a favor to ask. Can you go to wherever you listen to podcasts and leave me a review? Your feedback is what keeps this podcast going. You can also check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook with the handle at DreamPathPod. And as always, go find your dream path.